Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Place of Pain by M.P. Scheel. This was first published in The Red Magazine, May 1st, 1914. Um, I found this in a uh, reprint magazine, and I've got uh, sort of a pantheon of authors who were revered in the mid-50s for their place in fantasy and uh, science fiction um, up on my wall, and I'd not read a shield before, so I thought, uh, it's time for me to read a shield. I read this one. I both uh, think it's terrific, and I also think it's pretty horrible, but I think it's so powerful, and I couldn't believe how good a page-turner this was. Um, what did you think of this story? Could you uh, Did you manage to get through the first, I don't know, couple of pages? Because it's pretty tough. You know, I, I to tell you the truth, um, I read Shield's most famous work, The Purple Cloud, when I was a teenager, low these, uh, unfortunately, many, many years ago, um, and remembered it with uh, affection, but not a good sense of detail. So I was looking forward to reading this when you suggested to me the, the edition that, that you've got posted is one that has an editorial uh, squib that says that Shields writing is hard to get through. Mm. And this is one of the easier ones. You just now asked me, could I get through the first couple of pages? And I've got to say, Jesse, I, I had no problem at all. I, I don't understand why you asked. I don't understand why the editor said that. So I really kind of would, Love it if you would show me places in this writing where you find it um, impedimentous. Well, it's not just the writing. Yeah, so it's not just the writing. One of the things that throws throws me off is um, I'm familiar with where the story is set. And I'm like, this guy does not know anything about where I live. <laughs> um, it, it's set in British Columbia. It He talks about it like a person who's never been here. I, it's possible he has. But if he did, he didn't pick up a lot of the local... Uh, I mean, the closest he comes is calling uh, a, a, something, a district called the Sakune. That almost sounds like it could be from somewhere around here. Almost. But we don't really have districts exactly. So there, that was one thing that threw me off. Another thing that threw me off is um, it's got a lot of racist uh, sort of language in it, which doesn't make me super happy. Um, I often will push through that because I am willing to give almost anything a fair shake. And and it also has sort of like ornateness of writing for no reason that I can see. So uh, I'll take, for example, the bottom page 76, the very first page. Um, we have a whole paragraph that's in parentheses. Um, it goes, uh, the paragraph before it says, I think I saw Pod in my first week at Small Forks, one evening on the embankment. And embankment is, is capitalized. And then in the parentheses, a whole paragraph. You may know that Small Forks runs along the shore of an arm of Lake Sakune, embowered in bush 
at the foot of its mountains, really very like a nook in paradise to my mind. Um, well, why is that in parentheses? I maybe it's editorial intervention, but I don't. I, it just seems like a, a like he's self-taught or something. And I, I was trying to like he instead of calling the river or a river, he calls it a Rhone, capital R H O N E, right? Which is a river in Europe. But why does he call it like uh, that's what I'm talking about? Well, I had a, a different view. So let me let's so that people who haven't read this story have some sense of what we're talking about. It's a first person narration. Uh, the narrator never identifies himself at all, although um, he is referred to by pod uh, in ways that make us think that he that the narrator is male. And at one point, the narrator refers to himself as a Briton. Mm-hmm. So we we know that he. Uh, does not identify uh, himself as a Canadian, much less a British Columbian, if that's what you folks call yourself. Do you call yourselves that? Yeah. The way New Yorkers call themselves. Okay, so you use both parts. Um, There is a, uh, the narrator tells the story of his relations, or seems to be the story of his relations with a Reverend Thomas Pod, who is the the leader of a, a, small congregation of uh, uh, blacks um, in this small town of small forks where the narrator says, I went to pass a fortnight and we never find out why and stayed five years. And we again don't really know why, but since we know he leaves three months after the end of his relations with pod, um, having sought in the last three months unsuccessfully to find the secret that Pod had told him existed but had kept from him. Um, It's almost as if he stayed that extra five years because of Pod. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we don't know. There's a tremendous question in my mind as to who this narrator is, why he's there, why he's telling us the story. And it seems to me that M.P. Scheel has constructed a whole set of terms that let us know that this isn't really British Columbia. I mean, I looked up every single term, every geographic term Mm -hmm. that he uses, and absolutely none of them exist in British Columbia, which strikes me as uh, odd if you're trying to, if, if you've never been to British Columbia and you would like to have a few words of local color, it wouldn't be hard to go to an atlas even in uh, the beginning of the 20th century and find the name of a small town or the name of a river. But when he says that there are mountains, plural, with mirrors of water mixed up with them, this is from the very first paragraph, and that idea of mirrors in the water is crucial for the plot. Um, Mirrors of uh, water mixed up with them Torrents and forests and roaring rones, plural. He doesn't, he's not misnaming a river in British Columbia as the Rhone. He knows darn well, he's a Briton, mm-hmm. that the Rhone um, is in Europe. He is using the Rhone as a, as a, an, a metaphor, oh, no. oh. As, as a metonym for, um, all possible rivers that happen to flow through crowded land, right? This isn't uh, 
the Nile with a broad, broad spread out delta. This is the Rhone that cuts among mountains as it makes its way through Europe. And that's the kind of river that this Britain is seeing many of in British Columbia. I would say not that uh, MP Scheele didn't really know British Columbia. I would say that the author is trying to let us know that they, we should be raising questions about this narrator, that that we're being told a story that in some ways only appears to be set in the real world. And in fact, is to the extent that it's important, representative of a more ideational world, a, a world of thought, not a world of geography. At least that's what it seems to me. Mm. Anyway. This I narrator meets this guy, Pod. Pod is the uh, the uh, the leader, a pastor of a small congregation of blacks in Small Forks, British Columbia. And um, at a certain point, not too long after they've come together, he he has Pod over. Pod comes, excuse me, to visit I for tea. He's trying to get him to uh, uh, give a contribution for the congregation he doesn't but they have a chat and he finds that pod surprisingly is a man of many sciences as it says he knows a lot of stuff and then he sort of disappears for a while and comes back after a long time out in the woods where he had used to ramble for a few days at a time everyone knew he was just a a fiend for for nature he comes back disheveled gets up in his pulpit and he absolutely insults his congregation in very racist terms, mm -hmm. of course, uh, not of course, but by the way. And he insults them as not really knowing what's going on in the world, not really seeing things. Then the, the story progresses with Pod getting worse and worse and worse, crazier and crazier. Moonstruck is a word that comes up again and again. Mm -hmm. He's a lunatic. And what he ultimately claims to our narrator is that. He, Pod, has found a way to see hell. And ultimately, he allows, when he, but Pod himself is dying of tuberculosis and knows he will die soon, for having allowed him respectful listening. Um, he says, I will show you what it is, the secret. But then he doesn't quite show him the secret. Um, he says, I won't let you really see it. I'm going to put you, you know, go and stay in this cleft in the rock. And I'm going to then do this trick that I have learned of taking a particular rock and placing it in the, the roiling waters of one of these rones. And it will calm and produce, in effect, two mirrors. And then we get this hard SF description. Mm -hmm. The two mirrors actually serve as a telescope to allow one to see what's going on on the moon. And that turns out to be hell, that that is where all of the tormented souls are. However, um, Pod doesn't actually uh, show that. That's what we think we would see. But our narrator finds that at the appointed time, nothing happens. And after waiting 20 more minutes, he goes looking for Pod and Pod has collapsed on his way to the river with under the weight of the the rock. He never did get to place it there. Uh, he died of tuberculosis. So Pod was right in thinking this was his last chance to show his benefactor his own vision. Uh, 
And our guy arranges for his funeral and then stays in small forks for three months trying to figure out how to place some rock on some other rock so as to get the 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 river to turn into this huge, huge telescope and get to see the moon. And he gives up and he leaves. And that's the end of the story. Have I got the story the way you you've think got it? it? You've got it essential. There's there's a little bit of plot elements about him wanting to prevent the damming of the of the river. Um, that's I don't think that that's super important for the story. What I do think is incredibly important is is what I love and uh, I'm so shocked by and also impressed by is that we never get to see whether this is a science fiction story or just a story of a madman, right? But I classify it as <laughs> as I think the narrator is is you know he's pretty much in thinking that the guy isn't nuts that his his craziness is a reaction to what he has witnessed and we don't get much of a description of what he has witnessed but the the description of the telescope is so hard sf that it makes us convinced that it sort of works right that it must work and, and in 1914, I mean, yeah, they had really good telescopes. They could see what was going on in the moon, but maybe not as good as this. And if you got down to the fine-grained detail, and, and then when you do start looking at what the moon actually looks like, it looks pretty hellish, right? I mean, it, it's, it's basically a whole bunch of cinder cones and lakes of lava, right? And, and there's such a good sort of reaction based on this you know this scientific man um breaking and being destroyed by what he has seen and that smoke from his the the fire that he witnessed um is still palpable even after reading the story you know and and saying wow like that this is what moves me uh to say this is a really interesting story Ah, well, I, I, I see all of those things you're talking about. I, I don't see them quite the way you do. I think they are important. Uh, I think in 1914, people pretty much knew that as far as any lava might be on the moon, it was stone cold lava. Yeah. So this is not uh, this is not our modern infernal notion of um of hell. And although the telescopes were certainly enough to see the craters uh, on, on the moon, they <laughs> were not good enough and they still aren't to be able to see something the size of a human being. That's right. So if you assume that a soul is about the same size as the body it inhabited, um, this wouldn't be visible anyway. I, I, I find myself really liking this story, but I like the story more for what it sneaks in on for the doubts it sneaks into my mm -hmm. mind mm -hmm. so you know you, you said that uh kindly you you didn't uh you didn't uh criticize me for leaving out the details about uh, pod trying to stop the building of the hydroelectric dam another part but i think maybe it's worth bringing up and i'll tell you i, I hope i'll show why the Pod has made his discovery, or so he says, uh, of being able to turn the water into mirrors and see stuff. Well, we don't know at this point what his discovery was, but he just, you know, he claims the river is his, and he's not going. He doesn't want anybody to mess with it. 
but the the mineralogist discovers that um, there are a lot, there's lots of natural wealth here, and that Harper Falls, which is nearby Twin uh, Small Forks, um, would be terrific for hydropower, which would could could be used for exploiting the other natural resources in the area. So lumber is brought in, or is, trees are cut down and turned into lumber, so that they can build this hydropower station, and suddenly, mysteriously, it get all that lumber gets burned before they can use it to dam up the water. And then when it happens a second time, it's pretty darn clear that it was arson, um, and everybody wants to go and get Pod for it, because Pod is clearly a crazy man, and this must have been an insane act. But our narrator saves Pod from what looks like an incipient lynching, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Pod has been dragged away from the authorities and a Northwest policeman lends his countenance to the hustling of the poor outcast. Also a real estate agent, the sawdust mill manager who was reeking of turpentine and others whose place it was to have interfered. But no, our narrator interferes and says, no, no, this man is telling the truth. Um, my a clot as a, that is his presumably his brilliance as a Briton perhaps helped me to get him gasping out of their grasp. He's gasping not only because of the emotions at the moment, but because he has tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Um, so his lungs are weak. So this guy thinks, well, I'm, I'm a brilliant Briton. They're going to, they're going to listen to me. And he saves this fellow because as we are told in the very beginning, when he first talks with pod, his assertions have the ring of truth. He knows that when this guy Pod says this is up there, you know, I can see when he finally tells him, I've got this secret and I can see hell because this lake is the eye of the world. It had the ring of truth. Okay, now I think that's very important, Jesse. Mm-hmm. So glad you brought us back to this this line, right? Because he says um, it had the ring of truth. Um, he saves him. You have been everything to me, you, a stranger. God reward you. I have not long to live, but you shall know what I know and see what I have seen. Pod, I said, you have heard me pledge my word that you are innocent. Let me hear from you this instant that it was not you who committed those outrages, meaning setting the fire to the lumber twice. With the coolest insolence, he stood up, looked in my face and said, of course I committed them. Who else? Well, <laughs> you know, maybe our Britain shouldn't be so eager to accept his own estimation that Pod's assertions have the ring of truth. Maybe, in fact, since we have zero, zero evidence that Pod is telling the truth, Maybe we just have a lunatic. Yeah. However, I think we have something more than a lunatic because behind the narrator, there's MP Scheel. And MP Scheel has constructed this with many, many, many words that not only tell us it isn't British Columbia, but it is something else. For instance, small forks mm-hmm. may be a place where you make tiny decisions, but everything may hang on those tiny decisions. Harper Falls, 
A harper is someone who plays a harp. Hmm, who in heaven plays a harp? But in this story, if you look up, you don't see heaven, you see hell. Of course, when those angels in the sky rebelled and they fell, they went down through the earth into the inferno. So modern technology and modern commerce wants to dam up Harper Falls. It turns out that Pod, who is a reverend, is not capable of stopping this. Harper Falls is going to be dammed up. And in fact, as Pod himself says, when when the narrator says, well, where is hell? Uh, Pod says, you've just seen hell on the way to meeting me here in the woods. And mm-hmm. he says, well, I just came from from small forks. <laughs> and Pod doesn't say, I don't mean that. We know that he means the moon because the moon right. is in the sky. But maybe in fact, like in a Hawthorne story, mm-hmm. What this story is telling us is that, indeed, sin is all around us. This is hell, and it's only a matter of how you look at it. If we could only see it truly, as would, say, young Goodman Brown, that Hawthorne story, we would know there are devils everywhere. Mm-hmm. And this pastor, who has come to realize it, then excoriates his own flock, because they, too, are devilish, as is he. Mm-hmm. There are other references to the Bible throughout this. Uh, for example, it turns out, I don't think this is a common thing at the turn of the last century in British Columbia, but Pod turns out to have been born 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. That crucial number in, in the Bible, right? 40 days mm-hmm. uh, of rain, 40 years in the wilderness and so on. He was born 40 years ago, not 40 miles from small forks. Mm-hmm. Huh. And when he brings our narrator to go look, he says, you know, I'm not going to let you see it completely. I'm I'm not going to let you see it because it would drive you mad. You couldn't survive it. So I'm going to have you go here and stay in a cleft in the rock. Well, that's Exodus 33, chapter 20. Mm -hmm. And no man may look upon his face and live. Right. God says to Moses, you know, I'm going to put you here. Hold my hand in front of your eyes. And as I pass behind you, you have us in front of you. You may see my hind parts for no man may look upon my face and live. So it's as if Pod is trying to protect our narrator, thinking that Pod himself is able to reveal what the power of God. Well, maybe the power of God is to condemn people to hell. So what looks above us, the moon, here becomes what should be below us. And this whole story resonates, if you look for the words paradise. In fact, Mm -hmm. our narrator at the beginning, why did he stay in Small Forks? He looked around British Columbia. He looked at the nature and he said, this was the very image of paradise to my eyes. Mm -hmm. And he uses that. This whole story, I think, the place of pain Is the place of pain the moon or is the place of pain this veil of tears we all go through? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Scheel has constructed a story about what seems to be a a generous, nature-loving, sober Briton who's willing to help out a poor, misguided um, darky which is a word from the story. But in fact, that simple story about a strange fantasy this fellow has, or it could be true because he seems to know a lot of science, as you said, um, 
this simple story, in fact, is a direct assault on how we know what we should believe in in the world. Mm-hmm. There's there's some amazing um, imagery as you as you put it. I I did a drawing. Um, you were wondering how I got to that drawing. I want to read yeah. the section um, that inspired it, and then talk about wh- why it's so interesting. So this is as they're climbing the mountain up to the cataract. Half an hour afterwards, we came upon a platform about 800 yards square, surrounded by cliffs of pines on three sides. A torrent dropped down the back cliff, ran over most of the platform in a rather broad river, lacerated by rocks and dropping frothing in a cataract over the front of the platform. So... Uh, I'm I'm picturing this in my head. I was like, okay, and I start drawing, and um, I see the the fringes of pine trees, the river flowing off the off the front, and then he climbs down into a cave, from which he will view through the through the wa- the water, a magnified diatropic telescopic image of the moon. And there's a, another great description, but before we get to that, just Thinking about how <laughs> this is uh, not just biblical, it's also uh, platonic. Uh, Plato has a story of the myth of the cave where uh, to find the truth, you must leave the cave and see things in the pure light of day as they are. And here we've got a story where to see things as they are, one needs to instead go into a cave out of the sunlight in the night and have the cave entrance covered so that one can see the truth this is a, everything's inverted in this world instead of it being you know like i i was wondering why he was a black man and this black community there isn't a lot of black people in british columbia it's 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 one of the fewest uh anywhere in canada and there has there isn't a large black community anywhere settled. So I I was wondering about why this is, but what's so interesting is he he's kind of a reverse Moses in a certain sense. He comes down out of the mountains to his uh, parishioners and tells them that they're all wrong. But he he can't he can't tell them the truth. He just tells them that they're wrong. And when someone sneaks up to him and comes close and you know does a little kindness he says well i'll tell you the truth but you you don't even want to know it it's it's a terrible truth it's it's done this to me one of the things that is described is it sounds like he's a drunkard but he he's he doesn't drink right <laughs> there's his ruin is because of whatever he's seen so that's pretty amazing. And then this description. Listen, this is the description of him climbing into the cave. But how will you take the sight, he went on. Am I really going? Am I really doing you a service? You see the effect it has had on me. And then this line. To think what made us, dash, our own, dash, should bring forth such bitterness. So I think he's referring to God or the creator there. No, you shan't see it all. Not the worst bits. I'll stop the view there. You see that fall rushing down at our feet? I have the power by placing a certain rock in a certain position in this river to change the mass of froth into a mass of glass. Two masses of glass. Immense lenses. 
double convex. Discovered it by accident one night, five years since. Night of my life. That's a nice line. No, I am not well tonight, but never mind. You go down to the face of the rock at the side here, easy going, till you come to the cave. Go into the cave, then climb by the notches, which you will find in the wall, till you come to the ledge, one ledge of which is about two feet behind the inner eyepiece. The moon should begin to come within your view within four minutes from now, and I'll give you a five-minute sights, no more. You'll see her some 300 yards from you tearing across your brain like 10 trillion trains, but never you tell any man what you see on her. Go, go. Not very well tonight. And then he does. He, he uh, goes to move the rock. Our narrator spies on him, then feels bad about spying on him, goes down into the cave. Um, and the description of his tele- telescope is amazing. Like just the f- fact that he's talking about prismatic aberrations and sodium diatropic iridescent fringes, right? It's it's all super hard SF there. So at this point in the story, I'm like full bore, going like, what am I gonna see? And we never see it, right? Um, this is it's it's like the it's a revelation, right? What is when the when the when you see through a dark glass darkly, right? All this stuff, the promise, That's I think, right? All the promise of what what the revealed truth is, is so cool because it's reflecting uh, a real truth about when you do put a telescope up to your eye and look at things as they are in the universe the revelation can make you feel destroyed in a certain sense it can destroy your your religion it can destroy your belief in the cent- your place in the center or meaning and without that um a lot of people have trouble and so they grip very tightly to their religion this is a very very powerful sort of metaphor and i think it just works so well as how he's composed it like a a beautiful poem almost i i, I agree i think that's why i began by asking uh, what you and and the editor meant by saying it's hard to read i think it's in fact captivating to read yeah uh, i, I like haven't read his other I, stuff i can't I, tell I, you i'm not keen on the on the racism but but i love the language and then when we get to the end to me um it 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 shows your point about inversion and your point about construction. The last paragraph says, and the narrator is speaking. And then for three months, day after day, I was endeavoring in that solitude up there. So to place the rock in the river as to transform the froths of the waterfall into frothless water. He might as well have been trying to turn it into wine, mm-hmm. but I never managed. The secret is buried with the one man whom destiny intended maybe for centuries to come, to know what paths are trodden and what tapestries are wrought on an other orb. And when you first read that, I think the narrator is asking us to think, wow, what a loss. Mm-hmm. What a loss to humanity that this secret is buried. But in fact, we have absolutely no evidence that there exists a secret at all. 
we have evidence to the contrary because this guy has spent three months trying to figure it out. And we know that you can't just still waters, right? I mean, that you can't place another rock in, right? This isn't going to work. And, and yet he clearly believes it and has now, has now left small forks. That's why he says three months. I waited three months and then I left. So, there is no other orb. It's our orb. I mean, is there destiny? You know, destiny intended one man? Uh, is there destiny? Or do we make our destinies? Do we see the heaven or hell? Uh, our narrator, he knows his answer. And he, his life has become, here on earth, a place of pain. Because he struggles for months before he is forced to give up to get some knowledge he wants. We know that Pod thinks he has the knowledge and seeks it day nightly for five years and it, it kills him. And so the place of pain is one of those inversions that you were talking about, Jesse. Mm-hmm. The place of pain is hell beneath us. It is the moon above us. But in fact, whether you believe in heaven and hell or not, the story seems to give us a reason to suppose that it is here, here among the people who would rape nature, here among the people who would lynch someone who gets in their way, here among the people who follow a pastor who doesn't even really believe in them, here among all of the false understandings that human beings are subject to. It's, uh, I think, a powerful story. Mm-hmm. That's the word for it, powerful. Uh, but there's always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Mm-hmm.